Relationships are complex and everything in our world is ruled by our ways of connecting and relating with one another, from the way that we relate to our supply chain and the products that come into our home, to the ways that we relate to our friends and family members. How do we witness each other honestly? How do we hold space for conflict? How do we process harm within our community bonds? How might we allow our relationship with the land to teach us new ways of connecting and being together in these rapidly changing times? Sarah and I discuss all of these things and more on this week's episode of the Kin Spirit Podcast. I'm so excited to introduce Sarah Wildman to you of Our Common. Sarah Wildman is a leadership and relationship dynamics coach community builder and founder of Our Common, a coaching and consulting practice serving community seekers, community builders, and existing communities across the globe. Nearly a decade of community living and years of experience working and coaching in complex organizational dynamics has equipped her to work with people to navigate nuanced relationships with authenticity, courage, and empowering individuals and teams to get creative and create lasting change. Her work includes leading community conversations, running a revillaging group, hosting nature-based retreats, and coaching with leaders, teams, and living communities. Sarah grew up in a home focused on hospitality and mutual aid, where shared elements of life with friends and neighbors was considered normal. With her own young family, she lived in intentional community for close to a decade, including living on shared land and other singles and families, while sharing meals, work, and chores. She spent the last four years settling down roots in British Columbia, where she and her family seek to live in alignment with their core values of environmental stewardship, community care, and local impact through small daily choices. Sarah brings a collaborative whole systems approach to all of her work, making space for collective grappling, encouraging courageous action, and helping us to remember we're never truly alone. I'm so thankful for Sarah's voice here on the podcast and for her voice in my life. Thank you so much for listening to the Kin Spirit Podcast. Enjoy this episode. Thank you for listening to the Kin Spirit Podcast, a podcast about imagining and crafting a more whole world. In these episodes, I'll be sharing conversations with people that I believe have beautiful perspectives, asking questions like, how might we craft futures of wholeness? What does that look like, taste like, feel like? What does it look like in our work, in our relationships with ourselves and each other, and in our relationship with the mystery and our myths? How can we allow wholeness to be centered in our human evolution and global creative processes? How can we craft a vision of the future that can really hold all of us? I hope these episodes support you in your own inquiry into these questions. Thank you for listening. Enjoy. I'm like pulling all these threads around home and our connection to land and place. Um, and to community, to people, and to our own story. Like this piece of we might have people in a place, but people in a place that we've just met is very different than people that are tied to our story or even our generational story. Um, And there's something, you know, it's beautiful when we get to weave all those things (laughs) together, but rarely we do, I think. And it's, it's been interesting for me and my husband because we have very different 
personalities and leanings and the things that draw us to a place and to home are different. And for me, it's very much that relational piece and the connection with other humans mm-hmm. um, and the interweaving of our stories. And for him, it is very much a landscape thing, like a nourishment on the land, a connection to a particular type of landscape. And I have that too, like that shows up for me. I grew up on the coast by the ocean. Yeah. But now we live in quite an arid place. There's lakes, rivers, creeks, but um, it's much, much drier and a very different ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has a home feeling-ish to it, but there's nothing quite like returning to the ocean for me like that. I go there and there's a like physiological experience of arriving home when I'm by the ocean. Um, and yet to choose home or to choose place for me is much more easily influenced by the people than it is by the place. And that's just been an interesting grappling and exploration and understanding for us as we like craft home for ourselves and home for our children, Mm. um, that there are these different factors and that we might have different instincts or leanings towards what to prioritize in terms of calling a place home. Um, yeah. 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 Where are you based? So we are now based in, um, what's kind of known as the Okanagan Valley. Um, traditionally the lands of the Sikwemek and the Okanagan and the Silks peoples. Um, it's known modern day as, as Vernon or Coldstream as the little sub town we live in, but in British Columbia, um, Mm -hmm. in Canada. So I grew up about five hours West of here on the coast in Vancouver, um, or what is known as Vancouver on the coast, on the ocean. So very, you know, not far, five hours is still like a long weekend drive to visit family or that sort of thing. Um, but actually the, the, the geography and the land itself has been almost the biggest disorientation, um, Mm -hmm to try to find a sense of home in a new place. Like people, I, I find people very easily. It doesn't usually take me very long to build, um, a network of people that feel close Mm -hmm. Um, and that connection to a place, I think maybe is almost like a bit more inherent. Like you, you hear of people that move to a place and they feel like, Oh, this is where I've always meant to be. Like they have that physiological sensation of landing or arriving home in a place they've never even been before. Um, and I, I have no theories on what, what makes that true for people, but I believe it. I've, I've seen it and experienced it myself. So um curious if the landscape you've landed in has a yeah. energy or home feeling for you. There is a, there is a slight home, slight home feeling. It's, but it's not so much about like, because this is something that has come up too for me is like growing up in Memphis, home was like your typical middle-class neighborhood, um, yards and concrete. And for some reason, like that never resonated, it never resonated with me. So Sometimes I'm thinking about home as like, oh, there's probably like multiple dimensions to this. Maybe 
maybe there's a like a physiological response to um to the forest for some other reason than like mm-hmm. how I grew up. I do remember like us driving through forests and always feeling like I'm coming alive. Um, and I remember part of my reason for moving to New Mexico was because there was not very long, not very far of a drive, the Carson National Forest that wasn't just like juniper trees and pinon, which a pinon juniper tree forest is not the same as like a ponderosa forest. <laughs> it's a much shorter forest. <laughs> Um, there are no, nothing is taller than you really in a juniper forest. Um, and so, yeah, I do feel sort of a sense of home. I feel enveloped and I feel like small. I feel like I don't have to figure it all out anymore. I feel like taken care of. There's also something about the fertility of the land that really feels good in my body um to like get out of my car day one and walk over and see lemon balm and I just like I was just like oh I miss I miss like having such proximity to lemon balm and rosemary and and like mugwort and like these quote unquote weeds dandelion like seeing it everywhere moss is everywhere mm-hmm. and I'm just like <laughs> my body's just like ah yes. <laughs> yes 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 um but one other thing I've been thinking about and I'm curious how this lands for you is um there's a something I feel comes from evolution, like human evolution, recent human evolution, which is like this, this like idea of like ley lines of like having multiple connections to home and land um, where being from a place is more complex than where our people are from or where we grew up. Um, and there's a fromness that we can find in multiple places, uh, multiple identities, multiple ways, multiple dimensions and realms, like mm. the digital realm and the like physical earth realm. Or um, I'm starting to think of like cityscapes as a realm in and of itself. Mm. Like, so you enter into the urban realm in a sense. And there's a complete shift in a way of orientating in that land, in that realm, that's different than not urban areas, right? Curious how how that feels, like how that lands for you, what that sparks for you. Yeah, the, the it's interesting as you share it, the thing that sparks for me is this idea of, you know, this the journey of self-discovery, which when I think of that is, like this eternal exploration of a vast landscape, a vast, you know, landscape we we will never fully know. It's wide, it's deep, it's high. And what I love about this offering of yours, you know, this perspective to look through is that uh, it allows us to see different facets of ourselves or to understand ourselves through a new lens when we see 
ourselves or encounter ourselves in these different realms, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of times we kind of fear being incongruent. Like, well, if this part of me shows up over here, but over here, I long for this, or I feel this way, or I'm expressed in this other way, um, that we think that represents some duplicity in ourselves. And yet Mm. you look at a landscape and I I think California is a beautiful example because there's such a vast, um, range right right there, um, from coast to interior, from South to North, you have different ecosystems, bioregions, different little microcosms of moisture and dryness. And, um, and there's nothing, we don't look at that and think, oh, it's so duplicitous <laughs> like, yeah. or yeah. contradictory. We're not judging it. It's yeah. It's like, oh yeah, it's, it's a vast and complex and diverse landscape and it holds these many facets. And I, my, my experience of this or the best I can kind of understand my own experience of this is being curious with ourselves about the longings that emerge in different contexts or in different realms and letting them be valid maybe or giving ourselves permission permission to pay attention or to to follow a thread again I think it's so easy to write something to notice a thing come up in ourselves and write it off either because it feels contradictory to something else we want or because I don't know, we've qualified it as being superfluous or unnecessary or egotistical or whatever it is that we might, whatever stamp <laughs> we might yeah. place on it. But I, I do think this shows up for us as it relates to home and place in particular. And I'm thinking now of I think a number of clients and friends, um, who have been through journeys of feeling like, ah, there's something in me that longs to be whatever it is in the mountains. And, but all these 80 other reasons tell me I should be here where I am in this, whatever it is, it's down or this city. Um, it's probably not that it doesn't really matter, or it's just like a superficial thing, or it's just a bonus thing that I'd like that. And yet I've watched a number of individuals like wither in a circumstance until they finally give themselves permission to listen to that longing and follow it through and then watch like, oh, they need, they were, yeah, they were right. (laughs) Their longing was right and true and Mm. follow that allowed them to flourish in a way. And to me, that's like, I don't, I don't have some explanation for that necessarily Mm -hmm. or some thing I can attribute that to other than to say, if you have a longing that's emerging in a particular context or realm, uh, pay attention to it, give yourself Mm. permission to see where it leads you. And, you know, we don't always have that privilege. Um, but when we do, I think it's beautiful that you felt like the desert is too dry (laughs) in this way that it is called, you know, cleansing and cleansing and cleansing. And you've landed in this like moisture rich ecosystem. And for whatever reason, yes, (laughs) this is the reason for that. Yeah. That's beautiful. Such a beautiful story. I think everything that you shared adds many layers and maybe we can even enter in here Mm -hmm. in a deeper way, but like everything that you shared, um, adds many layers and many textures to this idea that we are that we are seasonal migrational 
multiple, multiple, multiplicitous, multi, multi-dimensional <laughs> creatures. Like we, we have, um, one word that I really love from Lawrence Holman is that we are polypoetic. Hmm. We are not just like singular beings with singular desires, uh, living and existing in the world that it's like right to be, to have many shades of our being. Um, It's right to have complexity and that that word complexity, as much as we as a culture don't always love it or it means something bad to be complex um in like typical conversations about oh you know she's complex or they're complex it's like there's a sort of connotation about it i feel like what you've described is like there's a there's a like there's a poetry about it there's a poetry about the complexities of poetry about our migrational ways of being. There's a poetry about the fact that we are like relational, multi-species relational beings, multi-locational beings. And I'm curious about that. I'm curious about what that means for us. Mm. And um, especially in the larger conversation about rooting into a local of the earth ecology. There's a lot of conversation in the world. It's about not being migrational or staying in one place or being one thing or being consistent or this word congruent that comes up of like, oh, you're not the same as you were in the winter as you are in the spring. Can't trust that. Can't trust you. We find mm-hmm. our, we, we kind of count ourselves out of the circle of relationship and trustworthiness and creation and nourishment because of change and because of shifting location, ways of being. All of these, all of these parts of us showing up in new ways. So thank you for highlighting that. Thank you mm-hmm. for like kind of bringing that to the surface, even though it doesn't really have like a. There's no neat bow to tie it all up with, right? Totally. <laughs> yes. Um, well, and what it brings up for me as you're sharing too is this idea that um, we don't exist inside a vacuum. We exist inside these complex ecosystems of human relationship, of ecology, ecosystem, place, culture, history, heritage, uh, spirituality. Like there's so many uh, layers that cross over and intersect. And, you know, there can be value in asking these questions around like, well, what would I want if I existed outside of this system or outside of, and yet a lot of the time it's, you know, we don't, we don't exist outside (laughs) of those systems and not, you know, I think again, we overcomplicate sometimes this idea of self-discovery. Like I need to understand, like, what is the true thing I want Mm -hmm. as opposed to the thing I find myself wanting in this moment or in this circumstance. And I'm often struck by like, where are we devaluing the truth of this moment or this circumstance? Like, this is where we are. (laughs) This is the moment we're in. And if this is what's emerging or what we're seeing in ourselves in this moment, then what is actually truer than that? You know, I think Mm -hmm. there's often this work to like clear it all away. Uh, Of course, like there are a lot of crap (laughs) 
messaging that we've maybe internalized or from culture that it is helpful or our own, you know, shadows that show up that it is helpful to take moments to like clear messaging and beliefs and, and kind of find an essential self. And yet even that is, is existing inside a particular moment in a particular context. Mm -hmm. And so there's something both and here about like inviting ourselves to do that and also giving ourselves permission to, to exist in the reality we exist in um, and, and trust what we know of ourselves there and not, not needing to over, over complicate it really. Yes. Oh, I love this. It kind of reminds me of something that Stephen Jenkinson talks about a lot in his work. And I was listening to his book, Die Wise this morning, and he was talking about wonder and how wonder is in part several different things. But one of the things it is, is this ability to be with reality as it is. And there's an element of hope that wonder comes with of like, we can be with reality as it is and accept the fact that there are some parts of it that are not a fit. And so then hope comes in and says, well, what would I imagine the future to be? What am I voting for? Hmm. My imagination, with my words, with my countenance, with my desires. And still I'm in reality as it is right now. And how do I work with that? Mm-hmm. And I, I love, I, I think that that is, a, that's a wisdom that I feel like, especially people in my generation and younger, actually, I feel like, I feel like Gen Z, especially has a really cool as an overall group of people from what I can tell. They have a really interesting relationship with reality as it is mm-hmm. holding that careful balance. But I know that sometimes like whimsy can come in and take us up and along come the flags of perfectionism and essentialism and like trying to become the truest version of ourselves. But in that quest, we can miss the fact that it isn't always that intense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know anything. But... I love where this conversation is going. Actually, I love the if i was going to pick kind of three words to guide me in life it would maybe be those three words would be wonder mm. acceptance mm. hope mm. um and just the trifecta of those three elements the the wonder to me is this posture of like awe and Mm -hmm. openness and expansion, Mm -hmm. delight, gratitude, joy. Like it has this kind of feeling to it. Whereas acceptance feels like, mm, like my feet want to settle into the ground, like palms up, but like stable and steady, you know, like it's got this grounded, like in reality, I'm here, I'm being with what is. And then hope has this like, spurring onward as you put it like visionary quality to it what is it that I'm dreaming into being or that I'm calling into being um Mm. with hope and I think if we can 
being mindful of the posture that we move through the world, it, it guards us from ending up either way too out here, like just expansive, but <laughs> lacking rooting. Mm-hmm. And it guards us from being like all up in here and like in and focused and turned inward um, and lacking vision or lacking clarity mm-hmm. or, or reality. And so this combination of words you've chosen that really root us like down through our feet, mm-hmm. but also like centered at the heart and open. Um, yeah is a really beautiful image, I think, or a beautiful way of being and moving, posturing ourselves as practice, not just as like stagnant location, um, but as a movement through the world. Yeah. I don't know where that's going or how we got there, but (laughs) I I like it. it. I love it. I, you know, I think about what you were saying earlier about coherence and sometimes in my world, that word can start to feel like a moral accomplishment. Um, being coherent can feel like, like being incoherent can feel like a moral, moral failure kind of thing. Like if you're not coherent, you're not well or something like that. Um, which I don't necessarily believe. I think it's more nuanced than that. But I think of the value of um, like sort of teetering between the three Mm -hmm. and how that can be a sense of like coherence, like a balance between coherence and incoherence, like kind of the life-death-life cycle. And there's an alchemy that's happening there that actually can be really it can be really helpful for turning the engine on, so to speak, on our movement forward. Mm -hmm. So we need a little bit of tension, a little bit of friction between the acceptance and the wonder and the hope, acceptance, wonder, hope, acceptance, wonder, hope that moves the engine forward. Um, because if we're stuck in acceptance, nothing changes. Mm-hmm. At least in my experience, it's like I I definitely don't err on the side of acceptance <laughs> in my life. Do you know very many humans that do? <laughs> I know a couple who are like, this is just the way things are, and that's it. And you do your thing, and you you're gonna die someday. And I'm like, great, have fun with that life. Um, <laughs> I am ready for art and splashes of wonder and innovation and technology and let's see what happens. Um, so, but like having that, that sort of relationship with acceptance and wonder is yeah. alchemy, it's tension, um, it's contradictory, it's incoherent in some ways. Yeah. Maybe incoherent is not the right word, but it's like in the context of this conversation, it's like, no, like there, there is some incoherence sometimes when you are both hopeful and fully acceptance, accepting of like reality. Um, they're, they're kind of contradictory. We need them both. Yeah. We need the dance, right? It's like yeah. the invitation to be in motion. Life is not stagnant. We are not stagnant. So that invitation uh, to, yeah, to be in movement. I think this is the idea too, that 
um, posture or a way of moving through the world is not, it's not just a, a posture. It's a, right. it's a flow. It's a, a form of movement. Mm. Um, I also don't lean towards acceptance. I resist <laughs> acceptance hard, which is maybe probably why I would choose it as one of my three words, because yeah, it's super for all of us, we have those places we lean and then we have the, the stretch areas or the counterbalance mm-hmm. areas that we see what they offer us or yeah. how they, in this case for me, ground us when I can be more rooted. And I see the places where my resistance to acceptance, um, is, is even more stagnating than my acceptance of it, if that makes sense, because then I'm just like stuck in patterns of resistance <laughs> patterns yeah. of personal despair or victimhood or whatever it denial <laughs> and so there's yeah. this beautiful dance I think mm. of these two hope and vision alongside acceptance all held just with wonder or mystery like mystery you know what this is dropping me into it's dropping me into the wisdom of the four directions which I come to over and over and over again because this is what the four directions is. It's like, you know, first of all, this is not a linear cyclical cycle. We are moving in between states all the time. We're moving between the North and the South and the East and the West all the time. And so sometimes we might be in the North, which is very accepted. It's very generative adult. It's very get it done um, and pay the bills. And but then we also have a little bit of the east, which is holding that wonder and that like rebirth energy and that wide-eyed innocence, um, but also the wisdom that comes from coming back to this place again and again and again, where you feel like you know nothing, right? Mm-hmm. It's giving me that like that sort of vibe of like, oh, like this is this is the four directions, this is the seasons, this is the elements, this is these are the base structures of being with change and life that hold us together as whole humans um, within complex systemic dynamics and a complex world. Yeah. I feel deeply encouraged by that. Like of like, Oh, of course it's going to come back to this again. And And of course it's going to be complex and it's going to be mystery and it's going to be unpinnable, downable. However, yes. you want to say that, right? It's like, absolutely, and that's the invitation. I think, you know, this is our first time connecting, but I've read pieces of your story, and I, you know, know you've been through this deconstruction journey along the way of the belief system and upbringing of your youth, and I think I have walked a, with a, a number of people through that kind of a journey, and what I often see is that for those that were raised with a really concrete worldview, belief system, black and white, right and wrong, good and bad, man and woman, heaven and hell, (laughs) physical body and spirit, separate duality, this dualism and the, but it's concrete. It's, it's like, if we grow up inside a system that, that gives us something really solid to hold Mm -hmm. onto and put our feet on, when we start deconstructing that for lack of a better worm or word, pulling pieces of it out or apart, we feel this sense of crumbling. And the most common thing I encounter for folks in that initial stage is looking for new paradigms, new 
beliefs, new, well, what do I believe about X now? What do I believe about whatever the hot topic is? What is my new statement around this thing? What is my new understanding of X, Y, Z? And this grasping, yeah, if I'm going to let that go, we need to find something new to hold on to. Um, And it's a really, you know, it's an uncomfortable phase, but I think the journey almost always leads us to a place where we come into the acceptance of mystery, which is its own paradigm or a paradox is the word I'm looking for. Uh, Right. This it's like a rooting in the unknown or a, a feeling of grounding in the expansive unknowableness that is the universe, that is ourselves, that is relationship, that is um, divinity, that is that is all of it. Um, and what an important journey that is and what an uncomfortable journey that is to come to a place where we can be in mystery and feel totally at ease. Wow. Um, and maybe totally is, is only just for a moment in time. Maybe we just pass through those moments of being totally at ease, but that I think is the ongoing movement that many of us are in is how do I move through the world, which is unknowable, uncertain, the future that is uncertain, um, and feel still grounded and receptive and can still have hope and still feel wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, amidst uncertainty. Yeah. How do you do that? What is your way of? What is the way? My temptation is to flip the question back at you because it feels <laughs> like there's a thing that's teachable here other than to continue um to just practice the reminders to ourselves, like what, what does feel sure or true. And, and maybe we'd have different words for this, depending on our journey and our context and where we are, but there's something just like Mm. feeling there's some connection for me that has never shifted some sort of rooted sense of knowing that I am loved, love, that feels so abstract. It feels almost, um, I'm like hesitant to say it because yeah, so abstract and because it feels so nebulous. Like how is that an offering for anybody other than that? It's a sense like an internal sense of grounding that then if I can reconnect to that sense and whether that is through physical posture, through breath, through time and nature, um, through connecting to teachings of wise for walkers of the earth, um, Mm -hmm. or whether it is through something meditative or prayerful, then it's like, I can return to a little bit of a closer inching towards acceptance (laughs) (laughs) of mystery and uncertainty. And it's only in moments where I feel like it's interesting. I don't know if you encounter this, but I encounter the more I have opportunities to be visible in the world, to, to share uh, thoughts or reflections or, or be in a teaching capacity or a mentoring capacity that people want you to fall into some sort of duality, 
They want you to land. Are you, you know, are you this or are you this? Yeah. Are you for this or are you against it? You know, people want to know, and we really seen this in the world in the last few years in particular, like it's just been this entire upturning of like how much polarity duality can we create, um, in our cultures and in our societies and in our families and in our relationships and even within ourselves. And I think for me, there is this holy resistance to duality, to like staying complex, letting ourselves be complex, staying with the mystery and the uncertainty. And it's certainly fun to talk about the things and to theorize and to um, explore different perspectives. And yet at the end of the day, allowing our sense of self not to be tied to yeah. like spectrums. I mean, it's like, get off the freaking spectrum. Just <laughs> know. Um, yes, get off of the, like, like the polarity swing. Um, is what I'm hearing you say. And I, you know, part of how I think about it, that connecting to love lately has been meditating on inherent radical, inherent irrevocable longing with the earth because the earth is like tangible when people aren't all the time. Mm -hmm. The earth Mm -hmm. is here for me and like inherent interrelatedness with all things that are and so like there's like a wolvenness that my being has that I can't undo Mm -hmm. or untie or mess up um and I recognize too like that's a personal mythology that I've woven for myself and it carries threads from growing up fundamentalist growing up Christian so there's like there's a like impenetrable grace aspect of it, of like, no matter what I do, no matter what season I'm in, I'm loved. And that feels really useful. (laughs) feels really nice to know that like, no matter what happens, I am deeply connected into the web of all that is. And what's close to me in the web is where I can start to identify some sense of belonging, some inkling of belonging. Mm -hmm. Um, And that feels tangible. That feels something to reach into in the midst of the mystery and the unknown, like the rhythm and the mundane that like water is here for me. (laughs) Like I am inherently in relationship and belonging with water or with the greens in my yard. And that is not profound. That is everyday mundane stuff, human stuff. Yeah. But it also keeps me whole in the sense that it keeps me in relationship to my wholeness, in the sense that it keeps me in relationship to my not perfection, because that's what wholeness is, I believe, holding all the parts like in one room mm-hmm. it's all mm-hmm. here <laughs> it keeps me from chucking myself out of the story of like anything yes yes the interconnectedness of all things that period 
full stop. It's like such a a grounding, reassuring, helpful, I think was the word you used, a helpful um, personal mythology. I, I really feel this, like I have this similarity around this like <laughs> eternal belovedness, assurance, grace thing that I hold that's a choice. Of course, it's a choice. Anything we believe or hold for ourselves is a choice. And yet um, I know it to be helpful. And yeah. so I choose it. It's like, I could grapple with the, and, and how do I pin that down? How do I prove that? It's like, I don't need to prove that. Holding that belief deeply inside of myself is helpful. So I will hold it, um, it because it, it brings me back to this sense of, of belonging. Uh, and I, I love that our conversation has circled there because belonging is such a topic I've been grappling with, or it's a very tricky thing to capture, to define, to describe. And I think colloquially we look at belonging maybe first and foremost in the context of relationship. And yet I love that in this conversation, we're looking also at the ways in which we belong to ourselves or in our, you use the word, I'm finding home in my body. Mm-hmm. Um, idea of like uh, that deep inner sense of belonging, belonging with the earth or that interconnectedness of all things, the wholeness yes. of all that is, um, which may, depending on how we perceive things or hold things, have a, an element of mystery, spirit, divine, un, unknowableness, um, or may just be very like a, a tangible felt reality. If we're looking it's not that hard to look at the threads of how we are actually interconnected with all things, um, how our choices have ripple effect throughout space and time. And yet belonging as much as we can like theorize and and use big words to talk about it, it not being about relationship or most often our most tangible experiences of belonging or unbelonging yes. relate to interpersonal dynamics and the complexity of that and the complexity of this whole thing we've been talking about around polarity and, and duality and inside society and culture and, and beliefs we hold and perspectives we hold worldviews about ourselves, about each other and how those create a sense of safety and belonging for people, or they don't. Um, And how do we cultivate, you know, for ourselves, not just ourselves, but spaces that allow people to feel that sense of deep belonging with themselves, with the earth, yeah, with the divine. Um, I think that's what I'd like to do. Yes. <laughs> what I'm trying to do yes. in moments that's really complex because I, yeah, I see you out here you you know when I first encountered your work I was just like wow like this is reminding me of like living systems um theories of like belonging and place which comes from like regenerative design stuff I don't know how like in like plugged in you are to that world of things but you know when we when I look outside what I see is not just a tree or a rock or grass which is how I used to see it 
growing up. That's how I learned how to see it. The yard, you know, like the lawn, the, the weeds. But now I see like, that is a world. It is a, it's a living ecosystem and every part of it has a role and a place and a structure and an intention and an essence, especially the essence, it must be honored. It must be honored. And so when you talk about whole systems relating, when you write about um, like relational units and like being like how to like really work within the context of a relational unit to, to talk about things and, and do things and get things done and like get to know people and also be known by people and also accept that maybe sometimes we won't be fully known by people. Like the, what you speak to me of <laughs> and like, that's how I'm like, Oh, she's speaking to me. Like these whole system dynamics, living system dynamics that only works when we acknowledge that all parts of the whole are important. And I'd love for you to speak more about that. What is a whole system when you talk about that in relational dynamics? What do you mean by that? Thank you for all of that. Yeah. Um, yeah well, I think we, so many of us, let's just be honest, all of us that grew up in Western culture grew up in sort of individualistic mindsets that center ourselves, even that center um, humanity as, yes. as the prime character in the story, whatever mm -hmm. story it is, we're telling uh, our own selves inside the story. And exactly as you said, and as we've been pointing to that, we don't exist inside of a vacuum. We exist inside these deeply complex systems. And there's so many layers to that, like within our own self, we've just been talking about the complexity of self and the vast dynamics that exist inside ourselves. And so even if we're just operating and, and living in an isolated circumstance, we have many parts and it's, you know, it's mind, heart, body, soul. It's, it's all of those parts, but it's also past, present, future. Mm. Um, you know, there's, it's also our whole life. It's, it's what's going on for me at work. It's what's going on for me at home. It's what's going on for me, um, in my therapy and what's going on for me with, uh, my relationships. It's, mm. it's all of these parts that, that interplay with one another. And the temptation is often, we see this so much in Western culture, right? We look at medicines, the most like obvious example where it's like, I went to see my GP today for something with my child. And of course I have a thing in my toe. And so they send me the, to the toe doctor, but <laughs> like the toe is connected to the foot is connected to the leg is connected to the hip is connected to the back. Like we're not actually just we can't isolate the toe. It exists as part of a whole system. So the body feels like such an obvious example and one where we have so emphasized, you know, splitting out various yeah. areas to look at. And, you know, many of us that have been in this kind of work for a long time recognize like when your body is sick, there's information there. What's going on for me yeah. um, emotionally right now? What's going on for me at a spiritual level? What, what else is happening? What's going on in my environment and my relationships? And not to say that there has to be some obvious answer. Sometimes it is really clear and simple inside one 
part. Um, and yet, you know, with our, with ourself and our body and our emotions, we're more likely to begin to expand and look at these pieces and how they work together when, when we're solution finding, or when we are making decisions, um, and tuning ourselves to what we pay attention and not just to the individual parts, but the interplay of the parts and the way they create like a whole system that is its own entity really, um, which we call the self. <laughs> but when we look at relationships, I think it's very much the same. It's, it's the same um, experience in that, you know, for me, the nuclear family is such an obvious example of it. And of course not everyone has that reality or that experience of living. It could be a, a group of housemates or a group of friends or um, whatever, whatever that kind of structuring of relationship dynamic is. It could be a workplace or a community of some kind. It could be from a, a local place or, um, you know, I know you hold like online community spaces. It could be across places. Um, and those relationships together make up this entity. And we've all, those of us that have sat in circle, for example, you know, you sit in circle with a group of individuals and you think this moment in time with these people, it won't ever exist quite like this again. It is its own experience encounter moment. I think those are great snapshots of like recognizing how all the parts make up the whole. Yeah. Uh, and so inside for us, like inside the ecosystem of our family, we, we often um, ex explore like health at an ecosystem level as opposed to an individual level. We got this from, I think it's Wendell Berry he talks about how we can't really look at health um, at a smaller scale than the community level, right? That if we're, we're trying to evaluate how, and we, you know, again, like we see systemic issues inside society and culture that trickle down and influence us. So when we're looking, this is why you and I hold hope and want to be visionary change makers, because <laughs> I think you start to look at the individual and you start to realize, oh, we need to go up up a level. I mean, it's not really a hierarchy here, but for the sake of illustration or out a level, um, out a layer, let's say into yeah. what is my, yeah. my immediate relational ecosystem and what's going on there. And then maybe what's that nested inside hmm. ecological metaphors better. Than yes. Than the hierarchical. yes. I was what like, immediately my system was like nestedness. Yes. <laughs> what is that nested? <laughs> and how well is that? How well yes. is that nest? You know, yes. like if, if the, you know, I'm like just a little cell inside the ecosystem of my family, which is nested inside our broader community and it's unwell and it's inside a system or a structure, like it's on a branch or in a tree that's unwell, like that's going to create fracture all the way down and, and all the way out again, right? There's these, like this interplay between them. And so I think at its most basic, beginning to think in a whole systems approach is about zooming out yeah. um, so that we can play with perspective and see the whole of a thing. Wow. Um, and on a really practical level, you know, in relationship that looks like not just what do I want or what do you want or what do I need or what do you need, right. um, but actually like, what is our system needing? What is, yeah. what is not just what do I have capacity for, but what does our system have capacity for? Yes. And 
and holding those questions in a really simple, it doesn't need to be, again, we don't need to overcomplicate it, but can we look a little more objectively, even yes. in conflict rather than like, well, you're doing this. Well, I'm not, I'm not getting what you're not doing. Oh, uh, you yes. uh, like that back and forth. Just what's the, what's happening in our relationship here. Let's see if we can yes. again, almost shift our posture, zoom out, look at the thing. I keep doing this thing with my hands, right? Oh, yeah. Open up. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and look in a more expansive way. Uh, can I almost observe the dynamic? I'm noticing there's a lot of blame in our relationship right now. Yeah. It's not about you and me. It's like inside the system right now, there's a lot of blame happening. Yeah. Oh, inside the system, there's a lot of miscommunication yes. happening right now. So again, just shifting or it's in the atmosphere. <laughs> we encounter yeah. a lot in our family system where I think I have a lot of capacity for a lot of things. Uh, I want to say yes to everything. But <laughs> actually, the system yeah. I exist inside of doesn't have capacity for me to say yes to all the things. So even though I think I do, I don't live. I mean, I, I could abandon ship, but I don't. I'm choosing to be inside this system and the system actually has limits on my capacity and that we can resent that we can push hard against that. But this is for me where that acceptance piece comes in that objective, like observation yes. and then acceptance of like, Oh, the system is giving me information yes. that when I push over here, it screams over here. Yes. Um, quite literally often <laughs> littles in my house. Um, and so I need to reorient what I perceive my own capacity to be based on the system I'm a part of, as opposed to just like in this little centrally focused uh, lens. Mm. That touching, hitting on where you imagined us going. Absolutely. Yes. I, you know, months and months and months ago, the term somatic potential just came into my awareness and I don't know that I got it from any specific place. Like it was like in a dream um, kind of thing. Um, and I'm still like waiting for somebody to be like, yep, that term came from me. So, but I'm just going to use it for now. Um, <laughs> somatic potential. What is a somatic potential available in the room for us? Like what is available somatically in our bodies? So think about like the nervous system as like, there's a lot of conversation about the nervous system um, in the world right now and um, in the online world. And like the whole world is getting hip to the fact that we have this like beautiful, sensitive, like aspect of us that is always responding to all things at all times. And it is deeply relational and is actually the reason why we get to engage and take part in relationships at the level that we do. And so when I think about the soma, the nervous system, the nervous system's relationship, not only with our bodies or our capacities, but also with our environments, with our resources, with other bodies. Um, I think about what, um, I think about like collective soma style things of like, there's a collective nervous system that's created when we're all kind of like connected together and we can recognize that interrelatedness. And there's a whole conversation that's happening without anyone saying a word. And there's, there's sort of a potential in the room that's, that's there without us even needing to name it. 
And what you're speaking to sort of, to me, points to that phenomenon of there, there's, there's sort of a collective potential, a collective capacity, and it varies based on what room you're standing in. Um, the level of like wholeness in the room, as well as well-being in the room, two separate things. Um, it varies based on what people perceive they have potential or capacity for. And all of these other little bitty factors that play a role in the conversation that isn't being had by words, it's being had by bodies. Mm -hmm. And it's also not only being had by bodies in the present moment, but it's being had by bodies that are in the past and in the future. And so to me, like this gets really like multidimensional really quick in my mind. Um, but that's kind of what it feels like when you speak about whole systems. It's like not only just like how many heads can we count in the room, but like what is sort of the composite of essence hmm. within the system of our web of relations that includes not just humans, but also other factors, other beings, other essences, including the environment, the air, the water, the land, the dirt, the soil quality, um, the fruit that we get from the farmer's market. How is it impacting somebody's blood sugar that, you know, blood sugar that day, like all the little things are involved. And while it's not complicated, you think about complication is like when something gets hung up on something, when something gets stuck, it is complex where mm -hmm. there are just multiple parts that are playing a role yeah. at any given moment. And it's not stuck in time. It's not just the present. It's past, future, present all at once. And that's, to me, super magnificent, but also super helpful to have a conscious awareness of like, so when I'm in a dynamic or in an argument or in a conversation with someone, I'm not just in a conversation with them. I'm in a conversation with the entire dynamic and the entire system and the web of relations. And when I speak things into that web of relations, it shifts the room in some way. It creates an impact. Yes. And there's so much there. There's so much there. <laughs> there's so much there. I think I have eight different conversations going on. About that <laughs> point in time. I'm like, oh, this thread, this thread, this thread, yeah. this thread. But one of the things I think that's, that's coming up for me in the right now is this, um, you know, we see in society and in our cultures, pendulum swings from generation to generation around, around different topics and themes. And you know, many of us in our generation grew up with sort of some sort of codependency in our yeah. upbringing. Like you made me feel, or like, don't make your brother feel oh, yes. such and such, right? <laughs> like I'm responsible for what everyone else feels. And so therefore yeah. I need to manage how everybody else feels or how everybody else perceives me. 
And, you know, we, you see it a lot on the internet. Well, I guess it depends on who you follow on the internet, but I see it a lot. I, I see a lot, <laughs> a lot of therapists and whatnot, right. Speaking to this particular, um, inner scaffolding, this storyline that many of us grew up with. And, you know, we have a lot of emphasis around, um, personal autonomy over our own emotions and our own experiences, a lot of emphasis around boundaries, not, you know, resisting people pleasing. You're not responsible for what anybody else feels and all of that's super healthy. Like there, this is not a, a jab against any of that. Right. And yet it's a, there's, you see these pendulum swings where the perfect example is this one time, you know, of course we're like, totally making a muddle of things, trying to raise our children in a new generation, having been raised with whatever we were raised with. And my kids are always calling me out on things. And I called one of my kids out on some impact they'd had on their sibling. <laughs> and one of my girls is like, well, if she's angry, that's on her. I don't control her emotions. Like she's, okay. in, she's, angry, she's in charge of being angry, you know, kind of this, like, and it just struck me as this moment of like, well, yes. And yeah, you have an influence, like absolutely yeah. you are not responsible for what's going on internally for her and yeah. your actions, your choices, they influence each other. We're interwoven, we're interconnected. And especially those of us that butt up into each other's physical or energetic space. Wow. Um, yeah, there's things to own there. And on the flip side, it's like, what's going on for them? Their response is not ours to control because it's been influenced by, like you said, 80 million factors all the yeah. way down to the water they drank this morning or didn't drink and whatever food was fed to the strawberries they ate, you know, it's like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's, there's so many factors at play. And so of course we are not meant to control or try to manage or manipulate how somebody else feels or, um, responds to us. And yet we do need to bring an awareness, a consciousness that we are interconnected and that how well I am in, inside my own soma and my own nervous system, how the, what I am doing to be regulated, grounded, um, that, that influences the P I mean, I noticed that very much with highly sensitive little people in, in yeah. my household. If I am dysregulated, they channel that and reflect it right back at me hundred percent of the time. It's like, Oh, I might not, I might think I am managing this very well. I'm not saying a thing. They mm -hmm. are feeling it and reflecting it right back to me or like, um, expressing it right back to me in their own ways. And so this idea again of watching where we want to exist inside these like concrete dualistic realities, it's either people pleasing and, um, you know, over attachment and manipulation or it's boundaries and personal autonomy. It's like, actually there's, there's beautiful complexity here. Yeah. Um, around the interplay of both of being conscious and aware of the way we show up and, and holding ourselves responsible for our own peace mm -hmm. um, and, and being aware of, of the other pieces that we encounter without trying to be responsible for everyone else's peace. Right. Which is a dance. It's, it's not it's, a, it's a different kind of 
intelligence that I feel like is also part of our evolution. I feel as humans, like we are, um, this is a big statement and I'm not an evolutionary biologist by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> so if there's any evolutionary biologist listening to this podcast, please do not cancel me. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I just have to say it, but I really, I feel like what you're pointing to is like part of our human evolution where we are maybe learning a new intelligence, a new quotient um, that's not quite emotional intelligence, not quite spiritual intelligence, not quite relational intelligence, but it's maybe some piece in between that involves our perception and our, like our sensory capacity to, um, make sense of information and know what to do with it and how to engage with each other with care with that information because we're perceiving more than we've ever perceived in the history of our being our perception is blasted open by the internet every single day and our kids are being born into this world more highly sensitive more complex than ever before for many reasons and what you're pointing to is like this invitation I feel to lean into that perception, um, sensory evolution that's wanting to take place in between inside of us, but also in between the bonds where it doesn't take as much time to say, I have an impact on the other without becoming enmeshed in the process. Yes. Yeah. And to care about that impact and to know what to do with it based on this is how I want to be impacting my system or this is how I want to be. This is what I want to be putting in sort of the dynamic. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't it. That wasn't what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the perception I think is beautiful. You put, you have such a poetic way with words um, this piece, you know, we might simply call it intuition. We have different, you know, and I think through generations, we probably have different words for this, but this ability to perceive, um, in some ways, just the unseen, like what is yeah. here that we can't see with the naked eye that yet we perceive it to be here. And I think the cautionary piece around this is those of us that maybe have a real inclination towards the intuitive or towards the perception, um, can fall into the trap of taking our perceptions or our interpretations, mm -hmm. which, which just fall on that thin line across towards interpretation and storytelling yeah. and make them fact for ourselves in such a way that, you know, especially those of us that, that hold community spaces, relational spaces, yeah. professionally, you yeah. begin to learn the, the skill or this, this ability to perceive dynamics and per perceive the interplay of things beyond what's actually just being said or expressed. Um, and yet if we're not careful, we get into this realm of, of responding to interpretation or responding to the stories that we really are, are projecting 
yeah. maybe quite accurately. Some of us have that whole yeah. skill of, of being quite accurate in those projections and, and maybe we're accurate 80% of the time, but the, the caution here is, is to still always return to that place of humility or that place of mystery of saying, I think I'm perceiving this. Yeah. What is actually happening? You know, I, you know, I do this, my, um, my husband bless his soul is deeply hard to read. He's like (laughs) not very externally expressive human, um, you know, obviously deeply complex and feeling like the rest of us, but in terms of his external expression of things. So oftentimes I'll say things like, you know, your brow is furrowed and I'm perceiving that you're, you're not understanding what I'm saying. He'll be like, nope, that's just my face. Totally. I'm with you. Here's what I hear. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Just like catching those moments where I want to bring that perception into the space and still just leaning into the transparency relationally of saying like, this is what I think I'm perceiving or understanding or what I'm making up from, from what I'm experiencing here. And and how does that check out for you or or what feels true or rings true about that for you? And, and if not, what, what are you perceiving or, or what's coming up for you or what is, what is the thing, you know, about this that I don't know. Um, and just to be in that tension, right. Of like honing that skill and expanding our capacity to perceive and intuit situations and, and what's going on for folks, which, which bears all of those intelligences, relational intelligence, uh, emotional intelligence, spiritual intelligence, like all of those pieces interwoven and like rooting that in our very real humanness and our humility of like, this is my best guess. What's, what's coming forth from that. And I mm. typically encourage, like if we're speaking to or reacting or responding to a situation as much as possible to root it in the facts mm-hmm. and where we don't have facts to name the curiosity or to name the observation or the perception as such, mm-hmm. um, which is very different than me telling my husband, like, well, you're not understanding what I'm saying. Right. Perceived his face is doing, you know, it's like, Oh, the way I'm interpreting what's happening here is that you're not understanding. And that gives me a moment that, that qualifying allows for the, the humility to enter into the space, which brings curiosity, which then allows the unfolding of, of what hopefully is more authentic and deeper connection than if we just operate um, out of our own perception. If yeah. that makes sense. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I feel like this, like this moment right here could open up like so many other conversations too. Cause I'm just like, I have to, I have to practice restraint <laughs> here. Um, but it's like, yeah, it's, it's even down to, so one thing I think about that I think really relates to this and maybe we can sort of find a place to land here um, is how, how starved we are culturally for human development rights of passage, rights of human development and connection just learning how to relate to each other, how to listen to each other non-verbally, how to be with each other. What are our ways together? Like sort of answering that question of like, when I'm with, you know, my family unit or with my friends, what are sort of our ways together? How do like, how do we 
almost save a lot of time processing and a lot of time healing by just understanding our ways, Um, which I think there's a lot of questions in that. And there's a lot of like threads in that question. (laughs) Um, But even down to like teaching a two or three-year-old the difference between discernment and um, judgment as like a way of being Mm -hmm. or teaching ourselves that teaching ourselves the difference between intuition and instinct where instinct may be sort of like the the fear response it's like the knowing and the intuition is more subtle yes so we can learn how to sort of read what's in this space in between us without creating those stories that you were saying earlier, like really Mm. hung up on our novels, like whole novels can come out about people after two interaction. It's, it's like, no, like (laughs) they were having a a bad 30 minutes of their day. Like they're not the full, (laughs) they're not the novel you just wrote of them (laughs) because of that 30 minutes. Yeah. And I'm, I just, I always come back to that. I'm always curious about like, you know, I am someone who really wants to become a mother. And I think about that of like, how do I, how do we navigate just teaching our ways? Mm-hmm. Right. And not in a way that like our children have to like spend the rest of their life in therapy, healing from it. <laughs> I wish I had the answers to these questions. <laughs> Good God. There's a deep longing here. There, you know, what you're speaking to or what I'm hearing is um, so many of us are disconnected from ritual or practice that roots us in the ways of being. It's like we've we live in such a heady world that wants to translate ideas and, and frameworks and tools and theologies and totally paradoxes and whatever they are. And yet we are interconnected with all beings. There's this wholeness, this whole system. And, and again, how do we integrate all the parts of ourselves um, as we learn what it is to know and move through the world, to listen, to, to be, to connect to our own wisdom, to discern what we receive and perceive as, as wisdom or not. Like there's, there's a deep complexity to that question, um, in a way that just comes, brings me back to those, like, okay, uh, acceptance of what I don't know. Uh, hope, 100%. vision, hope, <laughs> coming back to the basics, back to the basics. <laughs> cultivating wonder, yeah. curiosity, like yeah. being with mystery over and over and over again, especially as you mentioned, like this next generation is born into this world of technology where it's like the default thing I hear my kids say when they like ask some curious question is they're like, Google it. Uh-huh. Like, no, 
Wait. <laughs> we're gonna sit in a moment of mystery and a moment. <laughs> then, we'll, we're, then we're gonna Google it. Let's just, yeah, then we'll Google it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys. <laughs> minutes of mystery. <laughs> we're gonna practice not knowing. Like, what does it feel like to be in the unknowing and in the? What does it feel like to be in curiosity about a thing? Yeah. Because I think that at the heart of it all is is how we access that for ourselves. Um, those ways of being is, do we know how to practice and be with curiosity, um, Mm -hmm. with ourselves, with each other, like this whole conversation, this through thread of, of this word complex and what it, what it points to for me is how much, and I think you and I have this, this shared similarity of like, we, we like to wordsmith things and put words and ideas and like, take hold of things and and be able to map out or draw the connections between things. And it's a beautiful and it's a fun practice. And yet at the end of the day, can we come to the end of this conversation and say, and it looks like we know nothing. Yeah. What do we, that's where I'm at right now. I was like, I don't know anything. Like, what am I even doing? Right. All (laughs) complex. (laughs) And I'm curious, like, this is maybe a whole other conversation, maybe for next time, but coming back to the very beginning of our conversation where we were talking about place and choosing Mm. home and choosing home on a new, based on a new place. And yet also grappling with like, but there are people, no, not the people here that know me. And when you asked this question about learning ways of being, it really made me think of like, how do we decide what the things are that we stay with yeah journey alongside and in the midst of and in the mess of Mm. and I have really seen some people like choose a place for example Mm. and amidst that place they've been through challenge and heartache and dynamics that have changed and communities that have shifted but they feel a real connection to the land or to the place in in some way they can't explain and have chosen that commitment to place as their kind of grounding and as their, um, you know, their, whatever it is, the one piece that's like solid, maybe not totally unchanging, but that feels solid or sure while they navigate the nuance and the complexity of relationship and themselves changing and their worldview changing. And, and there are others that choose people, you know, that maybe have some sort of family culture that really holds to that, like family is forever uh, ideology. And they mm-hmm. have that as their one anchor point, their solid piece that they carry with them as they unpack and change and move from place to place and figure out who they are and, and all those things. And yet, I don't think there's a right thing to choose. Yeah. But my sense is, And maybe for you and I, there's this shared, like, there's something I can't name it, but this anchoring of like, I am loved. Yes. That holds true. And for me, that feels like the anchor point and everything else could like change and flow. But that feels like my anchor point that I've chosen to hold to and believe and steep myself in such that everything else can be up in flux. And I still know I'm, I've got that. And it has me curious how we choose what the thing is mm-hmm. and how we discern what are the things 
to like stay with as we navigate the un- the changing nature of everything around it and what are the the things we we perceive as time to let go of or to release and that's a question that is maybe only answered for each individual yeah on their own um sure. as it relates to place and relationship and spirituality and all the rest of the things um sense of self but it's certainly a a question I think is worth sitting with for ourselves. Like what is, what is the piece that feels sure as I allow the rest to Mm -hmm. be complex? Mm, That is such a good question. And yeah, I'm like, I'm with you here in the mystery of like, it is so different even season to season. Because mm. there may even be some some seasons where I'm like, oh, I'm here because my people are here. That feels obvious. Yeah. And when that fades, as it does sometimes, or it has it as it has for me at times, mm. then I'm in relationship with, I'm anchored by the land, or I'm anchored by my body, or I'm anchored by work. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe this is a good question to leave mm-hmm. listeners of the Kin Spirit podcast with is like, what is anchoring you in this season? Hmm. What is sort of your, what are you like, what are you oriented to mm-hmm. in this season? Um, and permission to, choose that intentionally or permission to allow that to just feel really inherent and not come with explanation. Yeah. And neither is more right than the other. Yeah. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for joining me the podcast. I loved the winding reciprocal nature of this episode it felt really good to weave with you (laughs) I don't use that word very very often but it felt like a weaving today Mm -hmm. um yeah I'm just really thankful I'd love for people to be able to plug into your work um would you be willing to share how they can find you on the internet yeah, the simplest way is to follow my new little Instagram account, which is um, our underscore underscore common C O M M O N, um, or find me at our common.com. Those are the simplest ways to engage with the work that I'm up to, and really the name pointing to. Um, our common, the collective, our interconnectedness, the interconnectedness of all things and our common as in the common everyday ordinary and speaking to that, just what you were saying about drinking the water that, um, the moments of like everyday ordinary holiness that exists in, in those interconnections and in the simplicity of daily life. So our dash common. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Ken Spirit, 
an emergent spiritual collective of creatives and dreamers who are dedicated to the work of bridging the gap between the everyday and the sacred and storying our way through great change. Your listenership means the world to us. So if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider adding an honest rating and a written review so that more people can find the conversations we're holding. In between episodes, you can find us on social media at Kinspirit or kinspirit.podcast. And you can find me, your resident story doula, at thestorydoula.co. Until next time, see you later. Thank you.